Good morning, afternoon, or evening. So, we've moved on, we've finished Corinthians after what is, what feels like to me, like six months. <laughs> and now we get to move on to the other most famous letter of Paul, the uh, letter to the Galatians. So, the Galatians letter is broken down into a few different parts. So, this first part is going to be all about the authenticity of the gospel. So, get your Bibles out, get your Galatians out. So, as it may be evident, everything about this first part of Galatians is Paul explaining that the gospel is more authentic, so better, more and more real, compared to other faiths. So a big, a big question for members of the early church was, what is my identity? Are Jewish Christians Jewish? Are they now not Jewish? Are they more Jewish than they are Christian? Are they both how do you navigate it if you become a christian do you also need to be jewish because through you know judaism is where christianity has its roots and like all these different kind of questions and in this time period it's important that throughout these letters that paul is writing there is a group of people that are historically known as the judaizers or the judaizers and they preach that in order to be a christian you also had to submit to all of the jewish laws and customs and paul's opening words make it really clear that Christianity is not tied down to a race of people or a culture, but it comes only from Jesus himself. So, read Galatians chapter 1 and read the first five verses. And just note down, what stands out to you in this opening greeting? So Paul says he wasn't sent by a group, but by Jesus and God the Father, and further that, Jesus gave his life in order to rescue us from the evil of the world. So there is no specific group or culture that can claim Jesus as their own. We can only claim that we belong to him. And there's a big difference there. So um, at any point, pause this. If you read verses 6 to 10, note down some stuff that stands out to you and feel free to pause at any point. So verses 6 to 10, there's lots to unpack here. Um, and Paul here is shocked that the church are being fooled by a false gospel. And in this letter, he is specifically addressing this, this group, these Judaizers, who claimed that those who were saved had to follow Jewish customs. It would be like claiming that today being saved means you have to listen to the kind of music that we tell you to and you have to dress the way we tell you to. And any Christian teaching that demands that you have to follow a certain custom in order to be accepted, aside from the actual you know, teaching of Jesus himself, is leading you down a false path. And Paul is deadly serious about being honest and teaching the good news. He says, may God's curse fall on even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news. Now remember that typically uh, angels would be seen as holier and higher than humans. And the idea that, and also the, this idea that there's a link to this fallen angel demons, you know, in this verse. We can't overestimate just how seriously Paul takes teaching the right gospel and not spreading a false gospel. He's likening people who spread the false gospel to being like demons. And Paul contrasts the real good news with fake good news in verse 10. He says, if I were trying to win the approval of people, I would not be Christ's servant. And that's a big statement, but it's obvious that even some teachers in the world today clearly don't listen to it. Living to win other people's approval rarely, if ever, goes hand in hand with serving Jesus.
And, and Paul builds from these statements and explains that his message, which is the same as the apostles, is from Christ and not any intellect of man. Let so read verses 11 to 17. And what can we learn from Paul here? So, first he says he got his message directly from Jesus. And we could be sceptical, which I imagine he would expect some people to be sceptical. But then in verse 13 he reminds his readers, Remember what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. So anyone in the know would know that Paul was not a supporter of the church. Like his young self when he was called Saul. He was outrageously pursuing advancement in the Jewish faith. And for him to suddenly drop his livelihood, to drop his you know zealous pursuit of being top Pharisee and become a Christian, suggests that something huge and serious and real has definitely happened to him. And so when Paul says he got the message directly from Jesus, we should be listening to him because he has had such a massive change in heart. So I mean, Paul didn't learn about Jesus from any man, but from God himself. And therefore Christ is not for any one culture, but once again, all cultures are for Christ. And Paul then explains something of his learning process. We read these verses. He says that once he had his vision, he went to Arabia, not to the apostles in Jerusalem and Damascus, which is where he was originally going, for three years before he met Peter. So Paul took his new faith very seriously. He clearly spent years trying to understand what happened and to make sure he wasn't getting anything wrong. And he then makes sure he stays with Jesus' closest followers after this three years to once again make sure he's understood the faith correctly and you know is following a legitimate belief. And so my, my challenge to us reading this is to ask how clearly do we understand our faith? Do we study and reflect on it so that we know and really understand it? Is our faith based totally in Jesus and his words and his guidance? Or is it more based on the, you know, the talks and motivational speeches of other people? Is it patiently growing bit by bit, day by day? Or are we looking out for only a quick experience? So regardless of like where you are, the truest sign of faith legitimately sent by God comes in this last two verses of chapter one where he says the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praise God because of me life changing this deep and incredible change is the most surefire way of seeing the authentic Jesus at work and so let's bounce on to chapter two so if you read the first three verses and just ask yourself, what do the first three verses tell you about Christianity? So Paul really takes time with the faith. It takes him 14 years to, to go again to meet with the apostles. And you would imagine that most of us would probably want to be hounding them all the time because they knew Jesus would be there all the time. And, and the funny thing is, he went to the apostles again for 14 years, not because he was starstruck, but he went to make sure, he says, to be sure I was not running the race in vain. He, he wants to keep assured that he is preaching the truth of Jesus from those who knew Jesus and experienced the resurrected Christ. And I think we can learn a lot from this. Right? Whether we teach or not, we should make sure that what we believe is actually biblical, is actually what Jesus taught, is actually what Paul taught. And we shouldn't rely just on you know, worship songs or popular Christian books, though they may be good, that might be really helpful, to 
understand our faith. We need to understand the Bible and we need to learn from people who are wiser and understand it better than we do. Otherwise, we might end up living a false faith. We might end up spreading a false-ish idea of faith or we might just have a weak faith. So look at verses 6, 7 and 8. God does not show favoritism, which means he doesn't favour one country or people or culture or race or style or place. And this is huge for people in the ancient world. And to be honest, it might be quite a hard thing for people in the modern world to get their heads around as well. In the ancient world, gods were understood as they fought for those who worshipped them the hardest. You know, who, you know, they dwelled in the temples, particularly the temples that were the most lavish and expensive. And the, the, their pedigree was proved by those armies who won battles in their name, etc, etc. And the Jewish people, I would say, were no different. And even today we've got hints of this. So a silly example like modern day would be, and you see this most in, and I joke about this, most with America, that, you know, they, you know, they, they believe and they pray that, you know, that you know, God is behind their country and their country's interests. And we see this a lot if we ever pray at sport games. You go to see your sport team and you pray really hard that God would let your team win. And it's fair enough, carry on. But that's, but that's not, God doesn't have favoritism. And, and this is something that we have to understand in these small, silly ways, just as they had to understand in this huge way back then, that just because your country was successful or your temple looked nice did not mean that God loved you more than someone else. God doesn't show favoritism. Paul preaches Jesus for those who are not Jewish. Peter preaches Jesus for those who are Jewish. But there is no favoritism here. So how does, how does this challenge your understanding of Christ and Christianity? Do you feel Jesus is more for a certain type of person or a certain country? Do you have prejudices against some places you feel Jesus would not be for? So read verses 11 to 14. And look at this. Paul doesn't shrink away from challenging Peter for his hypocrisy. And just think for a second. What was wrong with what Peter was doing? And have we ever done something similar? Now remember, Peter was Jesus's best friend. I know some people would argue that it was John, but I would always I would always regard Peter was the person who at least loved Jesus the most aggressively <laughs> and and was I as is typically seen as the leader of the church, the first pope, if you want to call him that. And in this situation we have Peter, who knew Jesus, embarrassed when he was hosting James's friends. Who were Jewish as well. He was ashamed to be seen eating with non-Jewish people when these other Jews were with him. He's living a hypocritical life. And it's really important to understand what's going on here. So no matter how holy you are, no matter how many godly experiences, how successful in ministry in your prayer life is, any of that, like Peter, you can still be tempted and deceived and fall into this selfish egotistic practice um and when we were going through corinthians we recently spoke about um paul's thorn in his side right near the end of two corinthians and that he ultimately says was important to stop him becoming too prideful and thinking that he was too special and too important 
And as hard as this confrontation with Peter might have been for Paul, it might have gotten him in huge trouble with the Jerusalem church, he wouldn't back down to it. And, and the next section of chapter 2 is this deep explanation of why Christ is superior to the law. Read verse 15 to 21. What stands out to you about the Christian faith Paul is explaining? Now, is there anything about his words that don't make sense to you? Um, Paul finishes chapter 2 by saying that, look, the law cannot save a person. Only faith in Jesus can. Faith justifies us where works cannot. In Christ, our old self is dead, and now Christ lives in us. And that is the superior authenticity of the gospel. That's the first part of Galatians all done.